0: Hi, and welcome to Parent Driven Development. I'm others and I'm here with my friend, Allison.
1: Hi, I'm Allison. And today, we're talking about something that's come up a bit recently, and that's the idea of leaving your job when your company is engaged in things that, mission-related things or ethical-related things that you don't necessarily agree about. And we felt like this was an interesting topic to talk about for parent-driven development because... I think the situation changes a little bit or becomes a lot more nuanced when you have dependents and folks that are sort of depending on you. And so that's what we're that's what we're getting into today. Darsh, do you want to share some initial thoughts or maybe if you have any like if there are any examples that that come to mind of stuff that's happened recently?
0: Sure, I am actively reading on Twitter. I do post a bit, but I do read a lot, and I think we probably circulate in the same communities, and so we see a lot of the same companies and the same kinds of ethical issues that come up. The, the couple that come to mind are different companies working with ICE. That's a that's usually one that comes up. I know I've been following the story with Kickstarter. They have been. Some of their employees have been trying to unionize and then Kickstarter has been firing those allegedly again I'm not sure exactly what is
1: right, reported it's all I'm Twitter, going off yeah, of like
0: yeah. Twitter and information which who knows how real it is but Kickstarter is having a labor issue and people are trying to organize there and I think they've fired some of the organizers intentionally so there's some there's sort of a, a, a thing around well, who are the who are the ethical or non-ethical clients of that company or customers, then I think the other pod of it tends to be like labor and organizing. And another example of that is Instacart. So there's each year now at this point, there's an Instacart like slowdown or ban or or blackout or something like that, where the workers will either slow their deliveries or not show up and it'll force the company to address some labor issues there. So I think those, are, to me, seem to be the two big areas is, is something labor oriented and something kind of questionable with the customers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think there is always like in terms of these examples, right, like technology is used to to power so much stuff. Right. And like anything can be can be used in various ways. Right. Like you could say like for good or for for evil, whatever sort of like evil means in this in this context. But right. Like it's like surveillance related stuff or I don't know, like software and tech. Yeah, it's just it's used to power to power so much. And it's hard. It's also hard to know sometimes like what you're like at a company, like what your direct role is or what your indirect role is or, you know, those those sorts of those sorts of things. Yeah, that's just like a little bit of my, my thoughts on it too, is that like, in some ways to me, it often feels like, oh, everything, not everything, but a lot of things are falling into this bucket of like, a bucket where we will, where we are thinking about like the ethical implications of anything and everything that we do related to technology and our jobs.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I I think that there's some element of this my theory is that i think there's some element of this where i think in the last several years and probably stretching back uh, a couple of different factors are really encouraging this one is that being in the tech industry we kind of control and create communication so tech people were the first people to create blogs and so they wrote a lot and so we learned a lot and so there's sort of a, a communication bubble that that emerges From the tech industry, because we build and control the means of communication. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot more information that comes out of the technology industry. And as a result, we can see a lot more inside of the technology companies. So people within different companies will write blog posts about how they were fired, or whether they have sketchy people that work there, or there's a conference that has a real terrible person that's coming to speak. And so There's more of a public conversation. I think that's one piece of it is that there's a public conversation that occurs that where we all kind of have more democratic access to information. The second piece of this is I think we're all, at least in the United States, much more politically aware and more perhaps uh, involved and democratically inclined as of the last three or four years. And I, I, mean, I think that, you know, I know more about the, the rules of cloture in the, in the Senate <laughs> now than I ever wanted to know before, or like, what happened in, a, in a, you know, the Kentucky legislature this week, you know, whereas I was fairly blissfully unaware of that some time ago. So I think to some extent, there's maybe more of a zeitgeist around wanting to be participating in the institutions and organizations that you're part of, and taking a little bit of a harder look at at those those organizations and then using your voice within those organizations to enact some change if you feel strongly about something. So, I think in general there is a sense of democratic activ- activization or, or activation maybe. At my wife's work, there is an election for a representative to the board and she was telling me that the town hall involved people like really riling up the crowd and promising all kinds of policy stuff like longer maternity leave and better benefits and things like that, even though that's not really what the role is. So I think to some extent, there's more of a people are more engaged and active in their organizations, wherever they may be. I think the other piece of this is also that we only vote every so often. But we can, you know, as people say, you can vote with your feet or vote with your wallet all the time, you can patronize businesses that are more ethical, or on the other end, you can remove your business from people that are less ethical in your own view. And so that's in another way where you get to kind of quote vote or participate or share your opinion. So I think we're, we have a lot more information, and I think people are much more available, are aware of the different ways in which they can influence organizations. And so oftentimes people choose to.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think one aspect of it also is that I feel like I, when I talk to people about this as well, I feel like there's a more of a understanding around the implications of inaction, right? So in the same way that like people maybe like want to get more involved and have more understanding around like being involved, I think there's also more of an understanding around like what happens when people don't act, when people don't speak up, when people like, what are the lessons of the past that we are repeating or that we're like going down the path of repeating, right? What is like being undone in terms of progress that, that has been made in the last whatever, like decade or, or two decades, et cetera. And I think that from my perspective, like as a, as a, jew living in this country like there are things that are getting scarier right Mm -hmm. you know like there are active you know around like the jewish life stuff that i participate in like there are regular conversations about security and making sure that guards are around and you know like just all of that all of that sort of stuff and so you know and i've had i've had a lot of friends recently deal with like outright acts of acts of anti-semitism etc and so i think that there's also like things are sort of getting scary in a lot of like as a woman, as a Jew, like for for things are getting scary for, you know, like a lot of different, especially folks that have any sort of like minority identity. And so I think that there's also an aspect that weighs as like, well, if I'm if I'm not active, what does that mean implicitly? Right. Like, what are the implications of me not speaking up, of me not using my platform be it you know twitter or felt like whatever it is of me not voting with my with my wallet or that or that sort of thing like i think that that's i think that's something that's coming into play as well
0: oh for sure and i think it's it's a much stronger thing in jewish identity and culture also because of you know obviously the recency of of how how much of a of, of an event, you know, the Holocaust in World War II was. I mean, I read all of that stuff, all of the, the Holocaust literature in, in college and high school, and it was all the same sorts of messages. Like, You know, even if you sat by and did nothing, that was, you know, that's that's some level of complicitness.
1: Yeah, so now, I mean, I think that, so one thing that I've seen a lot on Twitter is like, I guess two things, active encouragement, for folks to, it's like active encouragement for folks to leave their job. Like, if you work at these places, you should definitely leave or like, I implore you to leave, etc. I've also seen a bunch of messages of like, if you leave x place, we got you at y, you know, or like, if you're leaving your company for these reasons, let me know and I'll tweet it out or like those like that, that sort of thing. I feel like I've been seeing both of both of those messages a lot on Twitter, and I think that when I think about it, and when I think about the role that my income plays in my family and you know, just like what what that looks like. I mean, I I just think that it gets One thing that I don't see a lot of, I feel like I've seen it in bits and pieces or pockets, but I feel like I don't see a lot of recognition about like, oftentimes, like there are factors that mean that people can't just leave their jobs. And it's great if folks are saying like, if you leave your job for X, Y, and Z reason, like, don't worry, I'll tweet it out. But like, to be frank, like, I've had some hard job hunts because I'm a woman, because I'm a career switcher, and because I'm a mom, right? And I yeah. I feel like the pockets that I've, like, that I have seen this discussed in, like, hey, it's actually not that easy to just, like, leave your job are generally, like, from minorities or from, I don't know. So I, I think it's, like, interesting, and it's it's a very, like, it's a hard topic because you don't want to be complicit, but you also don't want to... Put your family at significant risk, right? Like what yeah. does that mean?
0: Yeah, so to unpeel this a little bit, there's a couple things in there there's one is that it's even though we work in the tech industry and enjoy probably pretty good incomes, those jobs are not as necessarily easy to come by as it may appear from the outside, especially for underrepresented folks like you and me. And so those jobs, and especially the good jobs, the ones that you enjoy, where you're happy, and you're being productive, and really enjoy your colleagues and the work that you're doing, those aren't easy to come by. And so just just to switch in any job for any reason is not easy. It's, it's hard to find another job that actually is as satisfying. Then the second piece is about compensation and and the dependency that we have on our jobs. And it, this is an interesting one. And I think this is sort of the linchpin for me is like that. So every time I have a conversation with somebody about their work, inevitably the conversation turns to the degree to which their life and livelihood and safety and security and healthcare and retirement and all of that depends on that job. And because those benefits are not really secure outside of that job, mm-hmm. like we don't really have. You know, healthcare is a big reason. There's a number of people that I know yeah. who most people I know have some amount of health issues of one form or another. It's sort of inevitable. And especially if you have kids or if you have a disability or chronic conditions like I do, you know, your ability to pay for health care and medicine and to get yourself taken care of is incredibly important. And when all of that is tied to work. As it is here in the United States, then the work becomes much more critical. You need to stay at that job to keep your health care. I can't recall the number of times that people have said, I would love to leave, but I would lose my health care when people talk about a job that they're not super happy about. Or I would love to leave, but the retirement benefits are too great. Like there's no way I could safely retire and stop working at a normal retirement age if I didn't continue at this job. So more and more, I feel like I have these conversations when I'm like, how's work, which feels like a normal, you know, Joe Schmo conversation. And the next thing you know, you're talking about how intricately linked employment is to healthcare and and your livelihood. And then you're like, why isn't there socialized medicine? Why don't we have like adequate protection for people who are retiring? And so those things are really carefully linked. And I think especially for the healthcare thing, there's a lot of unseen health needs, at least unseen from the public. And I can think of one person, a friend of mine who worked at Shopify and Shopify is, has been criticized for hosting e-commerce stores for Nazis, frankly, and whatever they're called these days. And so oftentimes, I, even probably myself, I probably said, hey, you know, I wonder if, to what extent you can reconsider... The work that you're doing, because it's enabling this other work, which I think we all can agree is not great. And this person told me, hey, look, I have a lot of health issues. You may not be aware of them. And for me to just switch my job is not easy. So it is, you know, I think I, I personally have not been as sensitive as I could have been about this in the past. And I probably just said, hey, why don't you quit? Things like that. It's interesting. I had a conversation with a friend, college friend this weekend who works at Facebook also. And they've been working there for the past couple of years and in the the policy area, but not related to any of these other things. So a lot more mundane stuff like data localization. But he is starting to realize the degree to which there's a lot of reputation risk. So the other end of this is that if you work at, a company that ends up having a lot of negative press around them it can and it shows up on your resume wherever you go it's going to start to look funny or people will start to look funny at you or yeah. it may affect your ability to get jobs in the future we had kind of a guys weekend when we got together with with buddies from college and so we were in the mode of just kind of teasing and giving people uh, you know the business and so we made a lot of you know election interference jokes at his expense but i think there is a real You know, I did have a side conversation where I said, look, I understand that you can't leave whenever you want, but you got to understand that the longer that you stay there, the more of a stink there's going to be on your resume. And, you know, I I have a a client right now where I'm working down in Palo Alto and it's the office I pass by the Palantir office very frequently. And I'm not even really up on what their ethical situation is these days but i know i walk by and people kind of put their heads down and they you know all the glasses frosted and there's a security guard outside and like there are real world implications of all of this this all of this activism as well
1: yeah i mean i think that the the essentially like inflexible costs are are a really big aspect of it right like healthcare childcare is is another one you can't just like pull your kid out of child care like while you're in between gigs and then like put them back into childcare care like once you've once you found something you know and I mean like and even like there's an aspect of paying for my family but also I mean we we employ a nanny as well, right? And so, like their livelihood and their ability to to live and to have an income, et cetera, is is also, frankly, dependent on like my income and my ability to to have to have an income. So, yeah, I mean, it definitely also like ends up sort of like ballooning in in impact when you think about when you think about that. One of the things that I weigh, and I know like. There are a lot of people that, you know, will probably like call BS on this, but I do do at the end of the year, we do a bunch of charitable giving, right? We sort of look at our income and we we say like, okay, we want to give this, this percentage to, you know, to, to charitable things. And it's not like, and sometimes I do wonder, and there are a lot of people say that like, oh, donating can't make up for continuing to work on X or for, you know, that that sort of thing. But I do wonder for individuals, like the impact of one individual leaving, especially from these larger companies versus like the ability to give a a decent amount of money to a smaller nonprofit where like you know, a decent sized donation, like will make a big difference in the work that they can accomplish and like what what they can do and and you know, how how much they can sort of like help help people. So I don't know, I know a lot of people sort of like call call BS on that, like on that weighing of concerns, like does a donation make up for like, your moral implications or whatever. But I don't, I don't think that it's like, completely out of left field or completely nonsense to think about, okay, how, how can I also be enabling like nonprofits or other organizations?
0: Yeah, this is a really hard balance to strike. Cause I think we all try to, we, you know, we'd all like to consider ourselves moral people who take moral actions and participate in moral organizations. And yet our primary allegiance and responsibility is to our families and children, right? So I don't know. I mean, maybe, I don't know if we're at that point yet, but I wonder if we can kind of outline what the what you can do, what can you do? So if you do feel strongly about a company and their inactions. But one thing I think that is, we maybe I'm curious to hear what you think, but I don't think it's very constructive to publicly suggest someone else, to publicly shame someone else and say, hey, why do you work there? You know, what are you doing there? Like, you should totally quit. That, that I think is embarrassing and puts, but probably puts people in a bad situation or an awkward situation at least. I wonder if it's more sensible to speak with them privately and at the very least say something supportive. You know, I wonder if you're aware of this behavior. And if you are, that must make this a little bit of a difficult time for you? Is there anything I can do to be supportive or help you? or Is there anything I can do to actually promote this cause while also not, you know, jeopardizing your, your employment there?
1: Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I think one of the other things that's that's interesting that I've heard as a, as a thread is like, if you can't, if you can't leave, or maybe you like, don't feel strongly enough about leaving, which I think is also really like valid and legit, figuring out what you can, what you can do from the inside, right? Like, what are folks interested in moving forward in sort of like, a a positive, proactive way? What does that look like? How can you like, try to create buy in with like, other individuals or different like, you know, folks in influential positions. And so instead of sort of like using your role to say like, okay, I'm out, sort of flipping it around and be like, well, I'm in for a variety of reasons, but what can we like what can we do about about this?
0: Yeah. What actions can you take from the inside? What What can you do to speak up within your own organization? Which is, again, also a very tricky one. As I mentioned with the Kickstarter example, it could also jeopardize your employment, which kind of puts you back in the same position. So there's a lot of there's a touchy way in which you have to handle that. And, you know, there are people who are more able to take those risks than others. And so it's it's complicated.
1: Yeah. And it also I think it also usually takes longer. Right. Like leaving a role or something is like that's definitely an action that you can take immediately. I think that if you're looking at like, okay, well, what what change can I help implement like from as as an employee of this company? I think one of the things that's important to recognize is that like it's it's going to take longer. It takes a while to like get buy in, get, you know, figure out like how to talk about it in a really positive, proactive way. You know, it's just like, it's not going to be as overnight as like, I disagree with this decision, I'm out.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, that is another thing that's worth saying is that this type of at least public pressure and activism once information gets out, actually is persuasive to the companies. The reputation risk that they're at in terms of being able to hire people, being able to sell their product, and all of that is very tenuous and it can turn on a dime and public pressure can actually push companies to make different more ethical decisions. So it's important, I think, at least from my voice to say, I don't, I don't want to come across as, as saying that activism or public pressure on companies to make changes is bad. Like I absolutely think it's good. And I think Mm -hmm. that voting with your wallet is very important and Putting public pressure on companies as a whole is sensible and maybe some of the partner organizations that work with them. It's the, I think it's tricky when you're singling out people because we're all sort of publicly in the world and communicating and, and trying to kind of shame them into some action. That's where I think it's not so great.
1: But it is actually
0: an effective way to target different companies and, and try and get them to, to make some changes. I have an anecdote also. So I had a project, I'm going to say a couple of years ago, that was a consulting project where I was a developer on the project. That was in a place where I just needed to take a Rails development project. And a friend of mine called me and said, hey, we have this project. Are you interested in just writing some back-end Rails? And I said, great, that's nice and boring. And that's going to be great for me right now. Nice and predictable. So I took the job. It was for a government agency. I can say it was for ultimately it was for the Department of Defense. And I it was I immediately had questions. Is this the right thing that I should be doing? Do I want to be working for the Department of Defense? What is the actual work that I'm doing? And so on. It turns out the the work and the project was around ensuring it was an administrative project or tool that ultimately ended up helping ensure that people who are in the military get their benefits so on its face i was kind of okay with it because i said well look people who are in the military are often you know they don't get the benefits that they should get but the, the military is pretty notorious about you know screwing people out of health and, and retirement benefits and things like that so to the extent that I can improve some of that, maybe that's a good thing. And it was a good project, and I had a good feeling about the the partners and the people that I was working with, and it was actually a very good team. I was happy to do the work at the time. And as it went on, the project became a real grind, and it there were things that came out in the news where areas near where we're working were doing some unethical things. and it was sort of a kind of a drip, 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 where there was an article or two a week that would be posted about that this adjacent agency was doing something pretty bad. And some of the questions that we had, we had a lot of ethical questions as a team as we were working on the project. Ultimately, we all kept going. I was a consultant, so I was more free to leave. But there are people who were full-time employees at the company who were obviously less less constrained or much more constrained in their actions. And I think I'm telling you a story for a reason, which is that the there's a real business impact to making these kinds of ethical decisions. As this, this project went on and on and on, and it was a very profitable project, the team morale just got lower and lower and lower. And we would interact with people in the military who were extremely sexist. I mean, in one ex- uh, instance and otherwise, just kind of condescending. And I, I by no means think that everybody in the military behaves this way. But this was the experience we had. In talking with some of our customers. And it just became worse and worse and worse. And so people just started quitting the team. And I got to a point where I said, you know, look, this isn't really worth it for me. And I understand the choices that you're making, but I can't really continue to work on this. To some extent, because of the moral gray area around it, but also it just became a drag of a project and nobody wanted to be on it. And people were kind of dragging their feet and moping. And I mean, there's the the... Specific consequences are things like you can't get code review, you can't, Mm -hmm. nobody can make decisions, you know, it it bubbles down into the little day to day minutia, but it adds to the project not being enjoyable, which of course means that it ends up not being productive and you can't really keep people on the team. So I think that there's real business impact to, to these kinds of ethical considerations as well.
1: Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I think that's a great story to sort of close this topic on. It's a complicated one.
0: Yeah, uh, it is. And and it, I mean, I guess the one thing that I can say on the, on the sunnier side of this is at least we have this information and at least we're aware of what's going on and we have more agency than we ever had as a people, as a culture and as an industry. So, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, I suppose. And we have mm-hmm. to we have to be careful about how we use that power and to what extent we we influence things in in rational and ethical ways ourselves.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So we'll move on to our closing segment. And that is our genius fail moments where we share something from the last couple of weeks that was a genius or that was a fail. Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? You go first. Okay. I have a, I have a fail. I would say that as our kids have gotten older, we've like just gradually gotten like more and more lax about screen time stuff. And it's, it's actually a little tricky because, well, it's, it's a little tricky because Devin actually like, learns an amazing amount of things from the shows that he watches like generally he like makes good choices he watches a lot of pbs kids he watches a lot of planet earth like he tells us all these like ridiculous facts about animals and like he watches magic school bus like it's generally pretty good but every once in a while he'll just like take like a sharp Right turn into like, who knows what lands, especially because he like now knows how to like, navigate through Netflix and whatever, like on the on the iPad. And I personally don't love the like parental controls that are actually that are like available via Netflix on the iPad. Anyway, and to add to it, just so that folks know sort of, like, the extent of my irresponsibility around this area, Devin watches the most TV in the morning when I am still sleeping, basically. Like, he comes out of his bed, he, like, grabs his cup of milk, he comes upstairs, and he, like, whatever, watches TV for... Somewhere between 30 minutes and an hour before I like actually get up and and going because I'm not a morning person. So it's a long explanation of my fail, which is that I I woke up the other day to Devin just watching like this ridiculous cartoon that was like it was it was like nursery school songs but to this like pretty intense like techno beat and I was just like what 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 is going on like what are you watching and it like has like electric like music effects like it sounded a little what? bit like EDM with like through nursery I don't know it was a very confusing and there was definitely nothing educational about it and I was just like oh god I let this happen. And I was just sleeping.
0: (laughs) Sleep is good. Sleep is magic. (laughs) Was it one of these uh, Japanese shows with the blinking lights? That's like a show that promotes a toy and the toy promotes the show.
1: No, it was Netflix has started airing a bunch of these like Indian Bollywood sort of S cartoons, like in. Oh, Interesting and he's got like he he loves them and some of them are decent like there was one that was like prince Print something and something that have, like, Bollywood-esque songs and, like, take take place, like, in India, but also still have, like, some, like, educational value. This one was, because it said that it was originally, because it says something like, you know, original language or whatever when you look at the description. So it said it was, like, Indian-based, like, original language was Hindu or, like, something like that. So it was Indian-based, so it was it, but it was just, like, it was just, is so weird I think that's like yeah. what it was it's just like the whole concept behind it was just like what is am I at a like am I at a baby rave like what is going <laughs> on here it's just nice. really sort of trippy and and out there and again had like zero educational value and and then of course it was like I was like Devin, it's time to turn the tv off and then it was like a fight to like turn i was right, like you're right. watching something ridiculous like turn it off
0: <laughs> yeah that's right anyway rough. yeah yeah that is a hard one screen time is hard i i know for a fact that i watched as an inordinate amount of television as a child
1: i mean so did yeah. i and so i feel less bad but i also about
0: it yeah but, but also you you can tell it's not good for them either because when you <laughs> try and take it away they spaz out as if you know you've taken, you know, their food away or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard. Oh my God.
1: It was not, not the, and and then I'm like, part of me like feels bad. And part of me is like, okay, but had I woken up an hour earlier, like that wouldn't have been good for either of us either.
0: Yeah, for sure. (laughs)
1: Look,
0: all things, all things are are less important than sleep as a (laughs) parent, I think for the most part. Yeah. I have a genius and a fail. Oh, okay. so I will start with the the fail and then maybe I'll do the genius after. So the fail is less a parenting fail, but more just like a general family fail. As I mentioned to you before the show started, my son has been in the ER three times in the last couple of months and twice in the last twice within six days to the point where we the second time we went in, all the nurses and doctors were like, wait a sec you again (laughs) he's fine he broke his arm in June and then he hurt his on some on the monkey bars he fell off the monkey bars and broke his elbow at school and then a week ago Friday he injured his other arm by going down one of these tube slides and kind of got his arm stuck behind him turned out he didn't break it but it was hurt enough that he had to be in a cast. And so at that point, we were like, ha oh, ha, this is pretty funny. So he was in a sling for a couple of days. And on Wednesday, the following Wednesday, we had him scope uh, scanned again, had more x-rays and turned out to be negative, but they decided to put him in cast anyhow, just because he was in a lot of pain. So he was super excited. Yay, I get another cast. And he's loves having casts. He loves people signing his cast <laughs> and wanted to pick a new color. And it was the first one was blue and then pink and then now this one's orange for, for Halloween and we we're like, okay, that's fine. And so that was Wednesday and then Thursday, we got a, which was Halloween, we got a call from, the, from the, the school again and he had cut his chin open to the extent that they thought it might require stitches. So I went and I saw him and it was definitely a big cut and he was really upset. And uh, I said, what happened? He was just climbing around on the gym, on the jungle gym, like playing tag, which sounds super dangerous, with the the cast. He's just like using the cast as a hook and like running around like crazy. And so I was just so upset. I was really mad at him. But, you know, it's the time when he probably needed the most empathy. He was really in a lot of pain. So he didn't end up getting stitches. They have this like glue that they can use, little strips of tape, and then they kind of this like bio glue they can use to kind of close these wounds. So he's actually okay. But I would like to not go to the ER uh, for a long time.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I want to know like how, how come we can like not let our children walk down the block by themselves. And yet monkey bars are still a thing. Like in the exact same way that they were made 50 years ago. (laughs)
0: yeah and i didn't know this but this happened when he broke his first when he broke his arm in in the summer he would walk around and the one thing people would ask is what happened and people would say oh monkey bars and when we went into the er every time they're like oh what happened little guy he's like i fell off the monkey bars and they're like yep that's the number one reason kids come in here and i was like it is
1: yeah i've heard that too i love that like i can't let my you know child like walk somewhere where he isn't in direct eye contact with me but I can definitely have him you know doing the monkey bars and end up in the hospital for that reason just like makes right what are they gonna redo monkey bars
0: (laughs) yeah he could just suspend himself five feet in the air for no reason yeah (laughs) anyhow and then my genius is we had some some neighbor kids over and my son my older son was very tired he just had had a long day at school and you know he gets to like 7:38, and his brain just starts shutting down and he becomes super upset and can't process anything and the only solution is just to get him through the bath and put him to bed we had some neighbor kids over so there was a lot of boys hanging around the couch and they were watching you know toy story or something while some of the adults were catching up having a glass of wine and my son was just melting down and I decided to just pick him up and put him to bed. And all of his friends were there and he was screaming at me and yelling. And I I felt bad, but I was like, he just needs to go to bed. Uh, so I took him up and I, I put him to bed and he passed out immediately. And in the middle of the night, he had a bad dream or something. So I went in to check on him and he immediately just laid into me. He was just like, oh, daddy, I'm so mad at you. I was like, why? He said, oh, you, what you did was really embarrassing. You embarrassed me in front of my friends. You shouldn't have taken me upstairs. I could have calmed down and just watched the movie. And I, I kind of listened and I said, yeah, I guess you're right. you know." And he was like, yeah, I really made me, he was crying. And he was like, it really made me feel upset. And it's interesting. I don't know if your kids are like this, but they give kids so many tools now to be able to talk about their feelings at school that I never had as a kid and probably as an adult too, but he just is like, I felt really frustrated and I felt really upset and I felt really embarrassed. And, you know, he's telling me all this stuff and I felt worse and worse. And so I just started apologizing. And it's something that I've been doing a lot more of is is if I get upset with him or if I make a mistake or I, you know, lose my temper or something like that. I just apologize and I talk to him and I make up with him and I say, look, I was in a bad mood or I wasn't feeling well or I just thought this was the right thing to do. But it wasn't and i was wrong and i'm sorry and he takes it pretty well and he appreciates that i do that and i don't think it's something that i'm not really proud of this, but i don't think it's something i've done until recently you know i think I, there's some element of like wanting to maintain the authority and being the, the dad and you'll know, do what i say and stuff like that but i think as he gets older i'm developing more of a relationship with him. We both are, my wife and I. And, we, you know, we have to reason with him a little bit. And we also have to admit when we're wrong. And I don't think that's like a huge insight or I guess it doesn't rise to the level of the genius, but it's something that I think is sort of a recent parenting innovation for me. Yeah, we
1: do. We do that with our kids. And it was really interesting because the other day, Devin was, he came home from school and he had just a bunch of A bunch of meltdowns about a bunch of different stuff sort of right right and it started with us asking him to wash his hands before dinner and just sort of like escalated from there and eventually about 40 minutes later sort of like got it together and he washed his hands and he sat down and had a quick dinner and then it was and then it was bedtime and I was I had like a committee meeting that evening. So I I left. And Colin told me that when I got home, Colin told me that he and Devin had a conversation that was Devin initiated that evening. And he said that as they were getting into bed for Con's Freedom Stories, Devin said, you know, Daddy, sometimes I get really frustrated about something and I yell And I'm really sorry for yelling at you this evening. And it was the first, like, we've sort of done apologizing. but We've never sort of, like, gotten an apology, like, a self-reflective apology back from him. Like, usually he just blames us for everything. Right. And, but this was, like, the first time that he... Sort of like and it felt really good as a parent to be like, oh, yes, these are the words that I use with you when I get frustrated or when I yell or whatever. And so it's like it was actually really cool to see him also have that realization and like say to us like, oh, I recognize that in this situation I yelled and it was because of this reason. And I feel I feel sorry about doing that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that is neat. And, And it is it does feel like the payoff, you know. Yes. Like, that, that role modeling actually does have a has a positive, positive impact on kids.
1: Yeah. It's a long game, but yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh one, one post note to the, the broken arm. I asked my son, I was just really frustrated. Like, how, when he cut his, his chin, I said, why did you do that? Like, why are you jumping all over the jungle gym with a cast on your arm? Like, what what did you think, honestly? And he goes, Daddy, I had a popsicle. And I think that all the sugar made me make bad decisions.
1: (laughs) 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 Oh, man. It's hilarious. All right, I'll take it. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening to the Parent Driven Development podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have questions that you'd like us to chat about on air, please email us at panel at or find us on Twitter at, at parentdrivendev. And if you like what you hear, please support us on Patreon. We're patreon.com slash parentdrivendev and rate us on iTunes. Thanks so much.
0: Thanks.